You're listening to The Watchers, a podcast for two women from opposite ends of New Jersey. Watch TV and movies about figuring out you're bisexual, but not really admitting it for a few more years. Watch movies about the future of podcasting. Watch movies about Christian Slater. This is yeah. officially the most stressed I have ever seen you. I'm so stressed. This is the most important movie to me in the world. And I know how embarrassing that is, and I don't care. I Here's my first review before we get into it. It's certainly the horniest movie we watched. It is definitely the horniest movie we watched. Yeah, I know. I for, Sometimes I forget about that because it's this movie just like exists in my brain from start mm-hmm. to finish as like a really important piece of literature. <laughs> yeah, I understand. It is hilariously teen horny, though. Like, it's not... Yeah. It's not a sexy movie. It's a very horny yeah. movie. It's a very horny movie. And it's I, like, it's horny in a way that the 90s, I feel like, were horny. Like, totally. it's not, there's this like crazy, stupid online discourse right now about how teens aren't having sex anymore. And I'm like, maybe they should have more movies like this. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Yeah, we yeah. really, the like teen, like sex romp mm-hmm. movies are, are just God, right? We don't yeah. have this anymore, I don't think. Yeah, I could be I wrong. Just, no, I, that's true. I don't watch a lot of teen movies these days. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like I was listening to – wow, it took me three seconds to shout out another podcast. I was listening <laughs> to the Rewatchables podcast on The Ringer, and they were talking about Cruel Intentions. <sighs> and that's like a horny teen movie. Yeah. You know? Like these things I, are not – I love that movie. That movie has one of my favorite endings still genuinely of any movie ever. Yeah. I've seen it a couple of times, but not for a very long time. I just, it was, I listened to that rewatchable and I was like, oh yeah, I remember watching this movie and really, really loving it. I haven't seen it in so long and I wonder if it holds up, but it does have the, one of the songs that makes me cry so hard. And I don't know if it's because of the movie or not. I thought that was all songs. (laughs) It's a long list. I but thought it was like music and words put together. Yeah, kind generally. of like my default is just sort of weeping. Um, yeah. But uh, no, it's uh, Counting Crows Colorblind. Oof. Oh, I don't even know if I know that off the top of my head. Oof. Oof. Mm, that's a good but one. Speaking of soundtracks. Holy. We watched I... Pump Up the Volume. <laughs> and I'm Andrea. One of the best soundtracks in the history of movies. Oh, and I'm Jody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of the best soundtracks in the history of movies, in my humble opinion. It's fantastic. I fucking love every song in this movie. I have the CD still. It is downstairs. I will be putting it in my car later today when I drive to the beach. Like, <laughs> I love it so much. This is the movie that introduced me to Concrete Blonde. This has a like a unreleased Beastie Boys song that mm-hmm. still has never seen the light of day. Oh wow! Like, yeah incredible 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 soundtrack it's really great descendants like yeah i'm wearing my bad religion t-shirt in in, like (laughs) it's got everybody's favorite pixie song unless you're a huge pixies fan yeah yeah it's so good and it's like the there's songs in the film that aren't on the soundtrack that are great like it's just ugh. Yeah, the mu- the music is a very important part of the plot of this movie too. Mm-hmm. In a way, like it's, I've actually seen this movie in lists of like movies about music, almost like not about music, but movies that are like 
yeah, music it's like, movies. Mm, how would you say it? It's kind of like the music is another character in this movie. <laughs> I was trying not to say that. <laughs> but, it, but I mean, it really, this movie yeah. would be a very different movie without it because it, yeah. it does drive, I mean, in some ways it fully drives the plot. So much yeah. of like the parents' distaste for the teens is wrapped up in the music they listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I also like... I, it's also the reason, which I think I mentioned last week, that this movie is not, <clears throat> excuse me, not and probably will never be on streaming um, because the rights are impossible. Yeah, I can't imagine, especially if they're unre- like fully unreleased songs and stuff. I don't even know how that, that works. That Beastie Boys song is like never. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. Um, Jesus and Mary Chain is like, there's also the like glimpses of the tapes mm-hmm. that you see in the background. Like... Uh, and people forget that, like, the way you discovered music when you were this age, pre-internet, was, like, movies, mm-hmm. your friends. Yep. You know, like, I think we've talked about this in the past, looking up, like, other bands on the label that yeah. one of your favorite bands is on, like, Epitaph or, or, like, Records. who was in their, like, thanks. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I remember watching this movie and looking at those tapes and being mm-hmm. like oh okay who i know some of these people i don't know other people like this is 1990 soundgarden is in this movie mm-hmm. like that's pre grunge craziness like yeah it's uh, mm, we could do a whole other podcast about the mu- the music in this movie um but we have we have to actually talk about the movie as well <laughs> i guess do you want um, me to tell you what it's about? I do. Very much so. I'm like a little afraid. <laughs> I've been afraid all week of this conversation because oh, no. I can't have my heart broken. <laughs> I mean, if you had to guess, how do you think I feel about this movie? <laughs> I feel like you probably enjoyed it very much. Yeah. That, But that just like everything else we've watched, you didn't watch it at the time where it would have burrowed its way into your soul. But it's and so... Lived there. It's this movie. It's so obvious that if I had watched it as a young person, I would yeah. have been obsessed with it. Like, yeah, it is. It's so weird that like for as just overtly horny as it mm-hmm. is and like, but it's like I. it's not particular. like I didn't find a whole lot in this movie problematic. <laughs> like, should I have? No, because I didn't. No, that's the thing. This is one of the weirdly most unproblematic movies we've watched mm-hmm. in terms of the hom- the homophobia, in terms... I mean, there's no people of color in this movie. That's, right. like, that's an obvious uh, theme in a lot of the movies we've talked about just from the time period that we were watching movies in our, mm-hmm. where we grew up. But, like, but, yeah, like, the blatant homophobia that we've seen in the other movies, even if it's, like kind of frowned upon by the like overarching like ethos of the movie it's not really like as i don't know how to explain it like obviously we'll get into it but like you know the character that's the caller that's gay like nobody else that is our heroes in this movie thinks that that is something that should like 
lead you to being bullied or whatever. Yeah. Like the bullies are are in existence, but they're not characters in this movie. No. And they don't and really show up at all. And even at best in a lot of the movies we've watched, like uh homosexuality. I always feel like a school teacher using that word like that. But it's it's often the spectrum. Like <laughs> It's often like treated as a joke, and sometimes yeah. it's in like a, a like sort of like it means it in a way it's intended to be sort of good natured, whether it is or isn't. Like that's yeah. sort of our best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Other than this movie, where the homophobia is a an issue, obviously, and it's um, spoken out against really um, uh, openly. Yeah, I was yeah. really kind of impressed by that. Yeah. And, you know, this is 1990. It's a few years later, but it's still in that same generation. Oh, you totally. Know? Like, well, and then oh, we still haven't talked to <laughs> what's this movie about. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let's Tell do me it. what this movie's about and then we'll, we'll just keep going. This movie is about a shy, sensitive boy named Mark. He's moved to a new town where he's struggling to fit in. He's kind of not even trying to fit in. Um, and uh, he, his parents, bought him a shortwave radio uh ostensibly to keep in touch with his friends where they're where did he move from the east coast i think it was new york okay um so uh to keep up with his friends on the east coast and instead he um starts like a radio show mm-hmm. and he becomes a local celebrity though uh a mystery celebrity because his yeah it's like his alter ego is this nighttime radio host called um happy harry hard on is that right mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um and yeah. all of the students in his school become obsessed with this character um and it just kind of like it it's kind of just a movie about that the adults are um disapproving the more they find out about it it becomes like a big media frenzy the big inciting incident in this is somebody it's a call-in show kind of so because Mm -hmm. it's 1990 the way it works is um, people write into a p.o box which is important and then he and leave their phone numbers he calls them and he talks with them on the air and one of his callers is a kid who's talking about killing himself um, and we find out in the movie that he does. And then that's when it sort of gets more serious because mm-hmm. like um, the authorities get involved and it kind of spirals out from there. Um, what else do we need to know? Oh, um, one of his um, regular writers is a girl at school um, who sends him like, like uh, really teen, bad, <laughs> like, like a sexy teen letters. Yeah. <laughs> She read a lot of Anais Nin, basically. (laughs) Um, And she rules and figures out that it's Mark because he returns a book to the library. Lenny Bruce book, yeah. That's right. It's Yeah, Lenny Bruce's book. And she connects it back to him. um, And then so she's the only one who knows it's him. She kind of becomes his partner in crime. Um, Oh, and a subplot is that the school has a really great record for right. uh, like test scores and stuff. And we find out throughout the movie, it's because the the principal of the school just boots out any student who might mess up that record. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, all of that kind of coalesces into a uh, teen rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what else? I th- that's like the major stuff. The teens take over the airwaves at the end and Christian Slater and his girlfriend go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> because it's because yep. for a few reasons. He's stealing somebody's telephone line. Um, also, like some stuff like inciting violence and stuff. Uh, what else? I mean, I think that basically covers it. Like this has a very low stakes um, setup. Like, Other than the fact that it does end with a team with them like, going, going to jail. To jail. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're supposed to assume that, like, because they're teenagers, they're yeah. minors, like, their parents are probably, like, her. So one thing that also is in there is that his dad, Christian Slater's character's dad, is the new superintendent of the school district, which is why they moved to this right. buttfuck Arizona. Right. We kind of, I think, are led to assume that they don't spend, like, another decade in jail after this. Yeah. But, but they don't tell us that. No. It's got um, major – it's so funny. I was starting to say off mic – off mic, off air, whatever, that it's really interesting to look at the movies you and I have both brought to this show collectively because mm-hmm. – there is a real streak of teen rebellion in your uh, you collection. Like this movie is has a lot in common with The Legend of Billie Jean, including uh-huh. the fact that Christian, Christian Slater is in it. Yeah, a few but, years older. But it's like there's something very similar to everybody dressing up like Billie Jean and kind of like spreading that rebellion um, around while she sort of disappears at the mm-hmm. end um, with the teens because that's that's the cool thing there's like a a thing at the end you know where he's like everybody you know take to the airwaves or whatever and all of i the like teens... wept the first time i saw that ending it is honestly i was really genuinely moved by that yeah it's like all all these kids then have their own shows and get to amplify their own voices and he kind of disappears into that which i think is really cool mm-hmm. and i think we have to say here that obviously there's been a lot of takes in the recent years that this movie was like predicting podcasting and predicting the internet and predicting like all of the negative shit that comes when everybody has a microphone and can just blast their thoughts out into the world like yeah i get it don't ruin my fucking movie like yeah by comparing it to (laughs) the internet and podcasting like this is a moment (laughs) in time when like you know people felt very isolated and Mm -hmm. you know i also think that like (laughs) <laughs> as the soundtrack is also a character in this movie so is suburbia <laughs> like yeah oh yeah the scenes pulling back from his development that is like half built in arizona you know the like little boxes on the hillside vibe mm-hmm. of the whole thing the the scene that's behind me to me as soon as i saw it again was like that looks like a laurie simmons photograph who's like a photographer that worked with miniatures in the 80s like it's got a very like suburban mindless you know and that's reflected in like heathers and also in some of the other movies we've watched too this idea of like suburbia being soul crushing and all the adults thinking it's the greatest thing in the world and all the teens being like there's so much shit going on under the surface that is not being dealt with and like yeah you know suicide plays a big role in this movie as it does in some of the other movies we've watched and i think that that also was really, really present in movies around this time. Um, I read that, and I don't think I knew this, but the original, so the director and writer of this movie, um, Alan Moyle is the, (laughs) I know, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Alan Moyle is the um, writer and director of this movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was um, the original um, screenplay came from like a short story or a novel that he had kind of written that was based around the suicide of a friend of his um, or someone oh. he knew when he was younger. And so this theme of, I don't know, I guess I just really like movies where teenagers are like actual people with emotions and feel like the world is kind of fucked up and are having trouble dealing with it. You know, I was joking about, you know, uh, Harry, happy, hard on. Is that that's the right order? Happy, Harry, hard on. Happy, Happy Harry, Harry hard. hard. You can also on. call him Hard Harry for short if you'd like. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, talk hard. Yeah. Um, that like he's this like you know really explicitly horny character, but he also is just like you know voicing. It's because it's not just that. That's not the only. It's often what he's talking about, but it's not yeah. the only thing he's talking about. And he is giving voice to. We we've talked about this a lot too. That like often in in the movies that we watch, the teens don't talk the way you expect teens to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like giving them uh, a way to kind of articulate feelings that they might not necessarily, necessarily have the language for. And this is sort of doing that, but in a way that feels much more like kind of like authentic. Like, like Mark is obviously a very, a, a more sensitive, eloquent teen than you expect from teens. But yeah. it does feel he does kind of feel like a regular teenager in a lot yeah. of ways. He feels like a guy um, I knew in high school. Like, yeah. not a specific one, but he feels like I could have known someone like this in high school and probably did. Yeah. Um, and, have, and like, being able to say the things he does on mic that he can't say mm-hmm. out loud during the day is a kind of version of of what we've talked about before, but just in a much more, like, concrete. Um, a few years later, this he would have had a live journal. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, and a few years after that, he would, I hate to break it to you, have, have a, a podcast. podcast. I know, I know, but we're not. <laughs> or we're I not... think actually, I think what he would have is a Twitch stream. Because, oh, geez, you're right. Because uh, podcasts in general, right. like, <laughs> without a lot of setup <sighs> and coordinating, don't have the call and response. Um, or it's not even that they don't have the ability. Of course they do. We, you know, I run a couple that do that. But it's the format isn't. Yeah, it's not often as the one. Yeah. Um, with like kids tuning in at a certain time to interact and Ugh. and this like big like put on character. Like that's all very I have I have a friend who's a professional Twitch streamer and it I really thought of him watching this. Like Yeah. He this is all his radio show is also the place where a lot of the stuff that's going on at the school like comes to light because people call in and write in and mm-hmm. stuff. And so, you know, he like uh, in the tradition of prank calls and people calling people randomly in the 80s and 90s like on their landlines you know he finds the phone number for the guidance counselor who like could try to convince the pregnant girl that she should drop out mm-hmm. you know he just calls him at home it's so good i love that i loved there's that one um moment where he does get reverse prank called where like people those those mm-hmm. two girls write in and he yeah. calls and realizes that they're that they're fucking with him. That, that was like a fun little because it's like, yeah, some of this is going to be very serious and some of it is just going to be kids fucking around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Christian Slater has said this is one of his favorite roles he's ever done. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. It's like what it's the thing that he still like really loves. Um, 
he's he mentioned it in like a an interview with I think Variety. Um, they've talked. He's talked about. Yeah, he says this is my favorite. That is my favorite movie I think that I've ever done, and to a large degree, favorite job. I felt like it was ahead of its time. It wasn't a typical high school movie, mm-hmm. and it really did get into some of the darker, more gruesome details of what it's like to actually be a teenager in high school. And he says, after this, I think it would be fun to re-examine, like, what the heck happened to Mark Hunter? Where is the kid that had the pirate (laughs) radio station? But now it might be, who cares, because everybody's got a podcast. (laughs) And that was, like, the original underground podcast before any of this stuff was going on. Mm -hmm. But I love that he still has a real soft spot for this movie. Because, like, a lot of times you see people who were iconic in certain movies that were, like, cult classics that really kind of disavow it. Mm-hmm. later on and are like well you know i make important work now and i was a teenager then and and he's like no this was like an important movie to me which yeah. i really fucking love i love that i can't stop thinking about this movie as compared to heather's yeah understandably i mean they're like back to back it's and christian slater with yeah and they're dealing with so many of the same themes and, yeah. and ideas but heather's and a lot of movies like it you like you know the way they talk about suicide the way they talk about all of that it like it's almost like it has to be turned into a kind of joke and really amplified to be able to talk about it Mm -hmm. for it to be like acceptable or palatable or whatever um for for to be like a movie yeah Yeah, and this one just kind of lets it be and it's and it's still a teen movie yeah um but it, it lets it kind of handle that stuff more seriously it's cool Yeah, like I was thinking about this weirdly in relation to last week's movie, Hiding Out, which is like, there's like, it could have been a quieter story, but they had to keep upping the ante with like Russian mobsters and like, you know, hanging from the ceiling of, (laughs) you know, like it had a little bit of that. I mean, I don't want to give it too much credit. It had a little bit of that heart (laughs) in it. Yeah. You know, but everything from that time, like Heather's has these really, the moments that me and my friends really grabbed onto we're not the over-the-top, blowing-up-to-school, like, you know, sort of fake suicide parts. They were the cow-tipping-in-the-woods, like, you know, the the cafeteria scene, things like that. Like, that really felt like they reflected high school at the time. And so mm-hmm. this movie kind of dispenses with all of the over-the-top, like, yeah. until the ending, which even that is not as over-the-top as it could have been. Right. The helicopter, like you said, is a bit much, but... <laughs> You know, it's the stakes are very low, very small, very personal to a small group of people. This is not Mm -hmm. like nobody's getting, you know, sort of, I don't know, like they're not trying to blow up the school. Like it's just, right. Yeah. Like it feels like smaller stakes, but that allows it to really, I think, resonate more for teenagers at the time because Mm -hmm. it feels like you could actually, this could happen where you live, you know? So, I love this movie so much. Yeah, you love an empowered teen. I do. I really do. (laughs) Especially an empowered girl, which in this Mm -hmm. case, she is a bit manic pixie dream girl, more than a bit. But she also is confident, and she is outspoken and determined and, like, has her own... To, to an extent drive we don't know too much about her other than like what he sees of her unfortunately it is cool to see her be like i love that she is so like um unwilling to let him kind of define her role in this um yeah 
through throughout the whole thing. I also really like I thought well you we were gonna we were getting set up for some sort of like love triangle um of Mark Nora and Paige and that like oh because he was, like yeah at one point he's looking at Paige because she's pretty and he's yeah, like oh he's, pretty girl and he says hi to her when they're yeah. dancing and then runs, and away. Like, <laughs> runs away and I thought it was going to be a thing where like both of those girls were going to have some sort of like on air kind of relationship or whatever mm. with Harry and that Mark was going to get caught up in it but no Paige no. is just this like sort of symbol for everything that is sort of like you know, not like, symbol four because she's she doesn't stand for it, but like everything that's put on these students, Paige yeah. is a really good example of why it's bad. <laughs> like, yeah, um, she's like the one who has all the high expectations on her. She's popular. She's pretty. She's smart. She's gets good grades. She's applying to Yale. Like her parents are really overbearing. Like, and she, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when she blows up her shit in the microwave. It's yeah. It's like who hasn't it. wanted to do that at some point? <laughs> totally. And then her at the town hall, just like yeah. losing it on the cameras, was so fun. I love her. I like. She's what in my mind, like. There's a we talked about like the stratification of high school and all of that, and the different cliques and groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not a present as much in this movie, but the one place it is present in is in Paige as a character, mm-hmm. who is like the popular, smart, perfect, pretty girl. Yeah, I just love her sort of, like, leaving behind all that shit and just, mm-hmm. you know, the hanging out in a field or parking lot vibe yeah. in this is really strong, yeah. which I really love. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I know I grew up in, like, really crowded North Jersey, but we did have some spaces where we could be <laughs> outside and, like, hang out in fields and parking lots and, you know, everybody hanging out on their cars and drinking beer. Like, it just... It felt very real. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is certainly North and South Jersey have in common. And I think most most places where teens where teens live, which I guess is everywhere. Um, <laughs> maybe not so much anymore, but it was definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, for us, it was the. We called it the service entrance and I don't know why, but like the area where the. Like uh, power lines were where they mm-hmm. cut out in the woods for the power lines to go through. Uh huh. That there was, was that. There was the train tracks. There was Seven Eleven. Those were the main ones. We could, places we called the woods, which were like a little group of trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had that. I mean, I know South Jersey actually has woods, which yeah. you know you don't you don't really know. But in our neighborhood, um, my neighborhood and the adjacent one also had the woods connecting the two, which like you could see directly through. Like it yeah. wasn't really. We spent yeah. a lot of time there. We've got a Duncan-like character in this movie a little bit. Yeah, we do. I got a right to an education. <laughs> and so he's very sweet and he starts out, it's like before you really know all like what sort of like corruption is happening at the school, he just is this like kind of like uh uh they want you to think the school anyway wants you to think he's like this loser troublemaker and he is a little mm-hmm. bit of a troublemaker um and he becomes a bigger troublemaker though justifiably so um and he i yeah. just i found him really endearing i just immediately he's like a kid i would have been friends with um, definitely for sure um i really i i just really felt for him it's very yeah. sweet and i think you know he is sort of the ramping up of the 
them kicking people out of school for like their mm-hmm. test scores and stuff. Like first it's this like Louis Chavez kid that they were talking about, but then it starts to kind of keep like you find out about the girl that got pregnant mm-hmm. and then, then this kid Maz gets kicked out and then they start kicking out other people that are involved with um, the radio situation, passing tapes around. And like, mm-hmm. so they eventually Nora gets expelled um as well and it starts like spiraling out of control um you know who else is in this movie seth green seth green i know for like a minute but yes yes i know i I always forget he's in it and then he pops up and i'm like oh yeah him it's so funny to see him playing like he's like supposed to be kind of cool like you can't i love seth green but come on i know come on i know um apparently also side note with the christian slater part just going back to his feelings about this movie um sam esmail who did uh mr robot which is the show that christian slater was in for you know however many years Mm -hmm. recently um is apparently a huge fan of pump up the volume and snuck in references to it on his show over the years that's so fun yeah i love it oh i feel like we I don't know how to talk about Samantha Madness in this movie. <laughs> I don't know that I can. I don't know that well, I can. No? No, we might need to just not. <laughs> so you said at the beginning that this movie... Did I? Um, I don't recall. <laughs> it's so funny. You and I have talked so um, openly about our like various queer awakenings but this one is different for you huh this is this is the this This is the one one. yeah it is this is the one yeah i have no way to speak about this movie in regards to that i mean like it's the backyard scene right like it's that scene it's well not even to to be like whatever that scene and the one sort of sort of directly following it yeah are really interesting to me because they i'm gonna talk about it more a little more with a little more distance i think than maybe you're able to um and it's it's interesting to see the way mark and nora both are at night versus at school in general yeah because he's still a little bumbling in that scene right like he's kind of like overwhelmed by her and she's like the like cool hot girl who's like you know yeah um, kind of like sort of like waking up the part of him because like harry hard harry is like a a very um exaggerated version of what he kind of wants to be yeah and i i think the the thing that's cool and the thing that is you know less about my feelings about these two characters and more about the movie is that like she does kind of and this is a little bit of the manic pixie dream girl part of it she does kind of like bring that out of yeah mark as opposed to you know um, yes and so that's cool and then they both go back to being like shy doofy teenagers in the daytime their little kiss is so chaste it's i know the way that that shot is also very um it's very sweet and it's very it feels like we're watching something that we're not supposed to be watching but it's like so like it's almost like a romantic like 
they've realized that they really like each other. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, you know, it's not just the performance of it. Like her writing letters and him performing for the microphone. It's like, oh, they actually like each other as people. And, you know, the scene the night before, after they like are like rolling around on the ground, she basically like kind of stops and like kind of runs away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always found that part to be a little bit unexplained, like why she suddenly decided that she needed to stop things from like progressing. Cause it just seems like she's so confident. She's so forward. And then it's, it almost feels to me and I'm totally projecting here. Like the male person that wrote this movie was like, we want her to be, forward and confident and all of that but at some point we have to remember that he's the guy right and she needs to not push it too far like it definitely felt like there was no other reason for that stopping point other Mm -hmm. than like we want to make sure that she's still a girl she's still a little like a little you know needs to be pursued a little bit and gonna just like you know She'll like, she'll push him, but then she wants him to kind of pursue her, which I think is kind of bullshit, but whatever. You take what you can get in 1990 (laughs) for for female empowerment. Yeah, I could, I could see that, that that maybe that's the case. I also watched this movie like a hundred times. And so (laughs) things that I didn't notice at first, like that moment, I definitely now later on, I'm like, oh yeah, that feels a little awkward that she just suddenly decided that it was too much and she had to leave. And Mm -hmm. it's like, ah. Especially when she was so confident to begin with. Although I wonder, I mean, part of it, we spend way, we spend a lot more time with Mark. Yeah. And so we see the kind of shy, quieter daytime Mark a lot more than we see daytime Nora. Yeah. Um, but when we do see so, daytime Nora, she's not necessarily, that's I think what feels off to me about it because she's not shy and retiring at school. Right. Right. She's got her best friend. She like dresses really funky. She kind of feels she seems very in the scenes during the daytime at school. She actually seems quite free. Yeah, she, she is seems we, quite herself. And again, manic pixie, of course, dream girl of it all. It's like we need her to be that way to pull Mark out, because if she yeah. is more she can't be Mark as a girl. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so I do find that a little a little off, but. Definitely, like, I think seeing young, confident women was clearly very important to me mm-hmm. in movies at this time Yeah, that were, like, in charge of themselves, in charge of their sexuality, like, not apologetic for it. Like, I think that that is actually something that 90s and late 80s movies were ac- starting to do not well, but, like, for the time, mm-hmm. pretty well. Right. You know, I will love Samantha Mathis for the rest of time for doing this movie. <laughs> it was like her first real role, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she's so she's so confident in this. Yeah, she's great. There's just like, I don't know. There's something really confusing when you're like, how old was I when this movie came out? 14 ish. Mm-hmm. Young, young, confused, queer person seeing two extremely hot people like half naked making out in a backyard <laughs> that both are pretty much like your type it was just really like what what is happening right now what do i do now what do i do <laughs> who who am i what is happening man samantha mathis has worked a ton but I know. not in anything 
it's I don't I was like yeah I obviously know Samantha Mathis like yeah and in my head I'm looking through her IMDb for like the thing right there isn't a the thing for her no no well, and she's been working but yeah I mean, and she's, she's in big stuff yeah like especially TV shows but just like one episode here and there yeah what yeah. the hell and smaller That's so things interesting she was on billions for a while um but yeah she has been working consistently ever since and it's sort of confusing as to where she's been because i cannot recall seeing her in anything beyond this it's literally just like one episode of something of like like literally like house lost like this Mm -hmm. is why i know her but in my head i really was just like looking for the movie where i'm like oh right obviously this is the one great anatomy she's done all of those shows but just that's so so i think actors like that are so interesting well and one thing that i think is sort of a background to all of this is that she was um dating river phoenix when he died and she was there when he died. Right. So she's um, been kind of. And so, yeah, she was a part for a moment of this like Hollywood teen scene, mm-hmm. you know. And then when River Phoenix died, like that was a big fucking deal when, when River Phoenix died. Yeah. Um, but she was his partner at the time. And so that really kind of, I think. I'm guessing, I think she's spoken about it really through her um, off of a track that she had been on. That's sad. And it, she really disappears because she was steady working again in like TV movies or like one episode here or there, a handful of episodes here or there, like various shows. Yeah. Um, and she then works just... in production, it seems like. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like to see that. Yeah, moving to the other side of it. Cheryl Pollock is an independent producer in Los Angeles whose passions are documentary film and animal rights. So that's cool. Good for her. Yeah, I I like that a lot. I, I like to learn that she's just found the thing she really wants to be doing, I'm assuming. That's great. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, sort of revisitings of this movie, uh, similar to Heather's once it hit like 25, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um Vice did a whole thing on it. So did The Ringer. Um, The Ringer did a rewatchables on it also, which I listened to. Um, Should we should we talk about the one major flaw in this movie, which is the fact that his parents don't know or he's screaming in his basement (laughs) and chain smoking cigarettes. Yeah. This house is not big enough. His parents are dumb. His parents, his parents are like Heather's parents, like, like Heather's parents, like the parents in Heather's. Yes. Just, but but not entirely. They are concerned. They used to be cool is the thing. That's Mm -hmm. the thing about the parents. That's like the big overarching thing is like his dad has Grateful Dead posters in his office. Mm -hmm. Mark is stealing records from his dad Mm -hmm. to play on his show. Like his parents used to be cool. Yeah, they used to and be they counterculture. Do care about him? It's not that they're uninvolved. No, and we have so many scenes of them at dinner. They're misguided. They really want him to get laid, though. Good God, do they want they him to get a girlfriend? They really want him to get laid. It is so funny. <laughs> Their joy like, when they see Nora. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
they're really worried their son's a little freak because he doesn't have a girlfriend. It's like, no, he's a pirate radio DJ in the basement uh-huh. inciting violence. And I don't know how you don't know because he's down there screaming. Yeah. And like, and he does a very bad job of hiding all that stuff Like when they come downstairs. He doesn't even try. Yeah. The, the, most, <laughs> the most absurd part in this movie is when they are standing directly in front of his turntable and his microphone and one of them says you know for a second we thought you were that pirate radio dj and it's yeah. just like oh did you yeah what, you what tipped you off it, i know that like we need them to be out of the way of that yeah but it's like you could have one scene where his parents are coming down the stairs and he like throws a blanket over all of the equipment and yeah. like like tries to like fan the smoke out of like a Small oh, nobody cared window. if you smoked in your room that at that point, though. Well, the that's smoking true, but... was like I smoked in my house when I was a teenager. But I get the impression that if they knew he was a smoker, they would be upset, and it's impossible Maybe. that they don't know that he's a smoker. Maybe, but he's... I think that that might be a later version of us looking back, hmm. because I smoked in high school a lot, right. and like eventually, my parents gave up, and I smoked in my right. room, like. It just was, and I had very overbearing parents in a lot of ways. Like, it just was the so culture. Do you think they think he's down there smoking cigarettes and, like, talking to his friends back home? Talking to his friends back home? Mm hmm. So funny. I know. And then they're so relieved when there's a girl in his room and it's like, you know. They really, like, are like, no, please get back to fucking. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Please. Exactly. We're so worried. Our son's a little freak. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I know that like she's, uh, she's really cool in that scene, too, because she yes. realizes and pops up to take the fall for it. Yep. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. She saves him in that moment. Oh, my God. There's so many good lines in this movie. I know that us like just reading lines from a movie is not good entertainment, <laughs> but the is it bigger than a baby's arm? Like so many things that like seeped into my vocabulary at that age that I didn't realize were from this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eat your cereal with your, with a fork and do your homework in the dark. <laughs> this is also just the perfect Gen X movie. Like, to- yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the Gen X of it all. <laughs> I'm a phony fuck. Just like my dad. Sorry. That was the one that really, yeah. Also, yo, Loretta, I'm already expelled, really. I just love, I love that <laughs> He's so great. so much, yeah. He's so great. Yeah, an exhausted decade where there's nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to. All the great themes have been used up and turned into theme parks. Ooh. Like, so many good, like, I know that people make fun of Gen X for how ironic and disaffected and over it we all were. But I feel like this movie is trying to get at the why of it all which is the boomer parent situation Mm -hmm. and the fact that like we were a smaller generation, you know, we had all these expectations placed on us by our boomer parents, but they fucked up the world. They were supposed to change everything in the sixties and then just kind of gave up. Mm -hmm. Like it's, Everybody talks about yeah, his parents are such a good example of that. Exactly. You were talking about with them, how they used to be cool. Yeah. They used to be cool. They used to be countercultural. And now he worked for the school system and his mom is just like, you know, concerned about him making friends. And like, they just, they have stopped seeing how fucked up the world is around them and he still sees it. And Mm -hmm. that's like, that is the feeling of being 
like brought up at that time. People all talk now about like millennials and Gen Z and the differences between those two things. But this was the, I don't want to say original because of course there were generations before this, but like for us and for me, like the boomer Gen X thing was that, you know, and And this movie really gets at it. Boomer of that dynamic, huh? Excuse me? As a millennial and Gen Z being the oof, doof. Yeah. Feels bad. It does feel bad, doesn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Well, you wouldn't know because you're on the good half of the... Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, there's all these jokes on, like, you know, TikTok and whatever about how Gen X is, like, the the generation that doesn't want to be talked about. Mm Mm-hmm. And I honestly just think that it's that we were talked about so much at the time. Right. Like, it was the slacker generation. It was like, you know, they don't care. They just want to drop out of society. Tune in and tune out, you know? Yeah. It's like they, you know, the boomers. (laughs) Tune in and tune out. Yeah. Tune in, drop out. (laughs) But like, we were the generation that, like, the boomers put all of their shit that they gave up on. Mm-hmm. on us and we're like oh you guys just don't care and it's like no you fucking don't like you fucked right. everything up you know right so it's it nice funny to revisit that a little bit yeah it's funny because i feel like then for us it's like millennials are like look look we tried we didn't you know what i mean like let's yeah. just keep blaming the boomers and now instead of being like putting it on the generation ahead of us behind us we're like we're putting it on them in a much more desperate way like please like we yeah. need you to fix this which yeah. is also not fair no and like i've i've caught myself doing that with students just being like mm-hmm. you guys gotta fix this because we're fucked <laughs> uh, you know who should talk just a, a little bit about is the funky english teacher uh-huh jan mm-hmm. her Audrey. name is jan there's always <laughs> there's always the one good teacher yeah in these so the movies. cool thing about this movie is it really is in the hands of the teens because she's mm-hmm. she's a cool teacher she tries but yep. she doesn't really have much to do other than be supportive yeah she doesn't have a lot of power yeah you know which i kind of I kind of like for this. Yeah, because she gets fired. Yeah. But I think it's interesting. So there's the flip side of this character in Heathers, which is the hippy dippy teacher that puts on like the morning, like love in sort of thing that is mm-hmm. actually like just to get, you know, media attention. Right. But who this doesn't is the actually sincere get what version. The issue is. Yeah. yeah. This is the sincere version who like actually listens to harry's show and thinks it's funny and like Mm -hmm. you know kind of gets where the kids are coming from so why do you want to talk about her is it because she's she's, is it because who she is she's audrey and i just love her so much from little shop Shop of horrors obviously the only reason we haven't covered that would have been like first on my list if you hadn't seen it maybe not first on my list but very high on my list i saw that in the theater with my mom it's Oh, God. I just love her so much. She's she's just she's got one of those faces. She's just like immediately likable the second you see her, I think. Yeah. And pr- maybe that's because I'm already in love with her because she's Audrey. Audrey. Like that. That could be it. But, um, you know, yeah. she's another one who's been in so many things since then. Um, she just shows up a lot, um, though, again, not in. Not in a while. She's still with us, but. Yeah, I mean, she's just always going to be Aud- Audrey. I almost said Audrey. 
It's almost going to be Audrey. She's perfect. Yeah, she is. I'm just looking at pictures of Audrey now. I know. <laughs> I just I, love her so much. I think I've been thinking about like why, why I loved this character of Mark so much as a kid. There's there's something to be said for the fact that like about the fact that all of these sort of like anti-hero people in this movie in these movies are men. There's no women led version of this that I can think of yeah. from this time period. And that just, you know, it's the it's the cause of all or the 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 burden, whatever. The it's necessary to as someone who's not represented in movies and film of a certain time to just put yourself in that spot, right? Like mm-hmm. instead of seeing myself in this role, I just have to imagine that like I am Mark, right? Right. This is the case for every person of color, every, you know, like that had to like every queer person who had to like see themselves in a straight romance. Like it's just, it's, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find yourself in the culture is difficult right but i think that what i'm trying to get at with this is that there's there's a scene where he's talking about he's talking to mr serious the malcolm the kid who ends up killing himself and Mm -hmm. he says um i didn't talk to one person today i sat Mm -hmm. in the stairwell eating lunch reading a book and he kind of talks about how he's like the anonymous nerd in school like and this idea that that person who literally has no friends and just is so isolated socially, whether by his own hand or otherwise, right. is actually like the sort of cultural hero on the radio at night. Like, <laughs> that's just, it's such a delightful and hopeful message for kids that were socially isolated and were Mm -hmm. bullied and were like you know eating lunch alone so nobody could like talk to them or talk about them or whatever like it really i think cannot be overstated how his awareness of his social isolation and his openness and talking about it Mm -hmm. on the radio like it reaches everybody in an interesting way yeah like you know, he talks about it all the time, how, like, he doesn't actually have friends. He doesn't know how to talk to people. He doesn't mm-hmm. know how to, like, be a, a human in the world. And yet everybody is obsessed with him at night. Like, yeah, you know? it is cool. He's not – it's not that he pretends at night that he's the, like, big man on campus. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, yeah. Like, he is very open. He's He really is – we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of this episode, like, just kind of putting voice to – that, like, a, loneliness. A lot of, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. You're right. That is that is kind of remarkable. Um, and I it. will say, though, Jody, he does refer to himself as funny looking at one point. And there is a little bit of she's all thatness to this yeah. movie where oh, they're like, sure. put the glasses on and yeah. hunch your shoulders up around your neck. And yeah. we'll just all pretend yeah. like you're not still Christian Slater. My right. God. And then at home, he like whips the shirt off. And yeah. Is like, you know. Pacing around smoking cigarettes. And you like never see him wearing glasses at night. It's yeah. very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Absolutely. But, but you know. Yeah. That that has to happen. Um, Some amazing needle drops in this movie. I mean, the whole movie is amazing needle drops. But my mm. absolute favorite one is um, when he starts screaming, no more Mr. Nice Guy, and then kick out the jams comes on. <laughs> uh, that is very good. It's so good. 
The, the, this does have the same. So I talked, we talked briefly about the teacher in Heather's, the like um, sort of therapy circle that she starts. There is a, a variant of that here with bionic. Believe it or not, I care. <laughs> oh God, yeah. It is really well-meaning, but. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. The truth uh. is a virus. She burned up all her shit last night. He definitely has that Jack Nicholson sound in this as well that they everybody referenced after Heather's. Mm-hmm. He he refers to his listeners as the usual band of teenage malcontents. <laughs> uh, they say that I am deluded, demented, deranged. Down with all guidance counselors, make them work for a living. I feel that. I still feel that. I'm sorry. I know. My brother look, was a guidance counselor. I know that they. it's not their fault. I know that, yeah. especially these days, they just like, have no real ability to help. Exactly, and and often, and it's even worse. I want to take back what I said that I agree with that. I don't mean that. What I actually mean is give guidance counselors the resources they need to be effective and helpful. Because yeah. now it's like there are guidance counselors working across multiple schools and stuff. It's not even just that they're like posted up in their office and ha- like it's that they're not there. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's really like sad. Counselors in schools. Shout out to the student organizers in Providence that started the uh, Counselors Not Cops movement. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I have such a a love for this. And he's such a, like, reluctant hero in this movie. Mm-hmm. But he talks about, like, surviving it is the whole point. High school is the bottom. We're all in pain. It can only get better. Like, this is the it gets better <laughs> of, the, uh-huh. of the early 90s. Um. Yeah, it is. It's another good example. Just to Legend of Billy Jean it again, like mm-hmm. the the fair way- is fair. Yeah, yeah. steal the air. It belongs to you. Is is something that is said at the end of this movie. Like, uh and it it it's interesting to watch him be like you said, so reluctant at first. Like he really just wants at first this to be his little outlet. To help him kind of survive the daytime hours and the school hours. And yes, yeah. you know, he really has to come to accept it. Um, and I think Billie Jean is a little more accepting early on, but it is both of them do have this sort of like celebrity and whatever heaped upon them um, despite their efforts against it at first or not efforts against it. That's not what I mean. Um that they don't really have much of a say in how that story about them is told. Yeah. So again, both like uh federal <laughs> like um they become like a concern at the federal level, both mm-hmm. of them, <laughs> which again like two low stakes movies that become very high stakes just in because the movies decide it. Yeah. Yeah. Um should we talk a little bit about the director for a minute. I would love to. I know you would. Um, and then I also want to talk about this movie's afterlife because cool. um, there, I found an article in The Guardian called, Can Christian Slater's Teen Movie Become a Musical Hit Like Heather's? So hmm. we will talk about this um, after we talk about Alan Moyle. Um Alan Moyle, director of this movie and Empire Records. Empire Records. Open till midnight. This is Mark. One of, midnight. One of your one of your core movies, I believe. 
it is I I it's something I've been really like going back and forth with this whole like run of our show where we're doing these movies is really trying to pinpoint which movie is my pump up the volume. Yeah. And it there I think there are a couple, but I will say this is one of them where I didn't realize that's what was going on at the time. There are plenty where I'm like, oh, yeah, obviously. Like, Mm -hmm. but I go back and watch Empire Records and I'm like, oh, I am in love with every single person in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, and I have been since 1995 or whatever. Like, yeah. 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 It's so he is responsible for both of those movies, Um, which is, I think, kind of cool and interesting. Yeah um he another great movie soundtrack yes exactly so good um so i read an interview with him and vice and they asked where the idea came from and he said that there had been pirate radio stations on abandoned oil rigs off the coast of england they were not subject to local laws controlling air content like the fcc so they were underground and he'd heard about them um and so apparently pump up the volume was a play first Originally, he wrote it about a suicidal young guy who was announcing his own suicide on the radio. Mm. And I ended up having too much fun playing with all the different ways he could kill himself. He was a mordant, funny kid, but he had no intention of killing himself. He just thought it would be cool to do it on air for his 10 listeners. Um, He said, Sandy Stern read it and said, this movie is way too dark. You've got to make it friendlier. So there's the one kid in it that commits suicide and we cleaned it up. I'm grateful to him because it probably wouldn't have been made or had Christian Slater in it without him. Yeah. But it's the idea of a depressed kid talking to the world and having his own private outlet. Yeah, Apparently, that, um, he, just to tie it back into what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, he also originally wanted John Cusack for this role. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yes. No. John no. Cusack in this role? Absolutely no. not. No, no, no. no. John, John Cusack wishes he was Christian Slater, though, I think. Well, no, he um, read it. He read the script and said, Alan, I've just played my last teenage role. Sorry if you got me last year, I'd have jumped at it. It's very Molly Ringwald. Yeah. yeah. He didn't yeah, want to be a totally. teenager anymore in the movies. Kathy Nelson, we should shout out as the music supervisor of this movie. She was working at MCA Records doing soundtracks at the time. Oh, well, she's crushing it. I wonder she who the crushed it. music supervisor is for Empire Records. Empire Records is maybe my favorite movie soundtrack. It's got so many songs that became important to me later um uh dire straits romeo and juliet which is a favorite and mm-hmm. anyway yeah. i wish you'd never seen empire records so we can watch empire records t- tomorrow uh next week i mean i've only seen it once wait I really don't, yes really it was a little late for me to be obsessed with and how because it was what 95 95 at least 10 years i know it might we might be able to shoehorn it into our concept Especially if we do it right next. after this. I know. I know. So I just, before we get to that, the movie before, the first movie that Alan Moyle ever. I'm tearing um, up. I'm so excited. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> directed was a film called Times Square. Have you heard of this movie? No. I want to watch this movie. This would be one we neither of us have seen. Um, it says, it's a flop which concerned the surprisingly tame adventures of two runaway teenage girls in the Big Apple. But originally this was supposed to – they were supposed to be, like, clearly lesbians in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, toned down by the edit. Oh. Um, I want to watch this movie at some point um, because I've – it's been referenced in other articles that I've read about other movies we've watched. Um, it's got a 
very cool soundtrack I am learning right yeah, now. Yeah, well, that's kind of his thing. Is it easy to find? I'm going to find out. I just because Googled I... Times Square. I'm like, oh, that's a place <laughs> in New York that's going <laughs> to... Times Square movie, 1980. Because if we... I think what we should do, if we can find it, is just do a little... We can do whatever we want. And we'll do a little Alan Moyle run where we watch... Your yeah. Alan Moyle movie, mine, and then... I don't know if it's possible to find it online is the only thing, because it's... An... Oh, yes, it is. It's on Amazon Prime for three ninety nine, And Apple TV, should... and Vudu, and oh. all that. And the Internet Archive. Oh, nice. Yeah, when a 13-year-old girl befriends a defiant antisocial child of the streets, the mismatched... Why are you freaking out? I'm just so excited. I love this. This is what we should do. Okay, so we're going to do an Alan Moyle run? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Empire right? Records I, and I want Times to Square. If you want to. Yeah. Why would I not? I'm, I think that's I'm a great idea. I'm in this vibe right now. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I don't know. You may hate Times Square. It may be terrible, but I think it's – I've wanted to watch it for a while. Um, I think it's a cool idea for us every once in a while to do something neither one of us have seen. Yeah. And I think it's very cool. I think now – Look at that, the poster for this movie, though. Wait, I'm going to send you the Wikipedia in the chat. And knowing that Alan Moyle did both of our, like, seminal. Yeah. I think that's. Totally. Oh, man. Oh, man. Look at the poster. Yeah, that's That's a very girls just want to have fun poster. Hell yeah. Oh, I think this is a great idea. Okay. Jazzed. Um, Yeah. So Alan Moyle, responsible for very important moments in our lives. Um, I mean, like, I don't, I'm not exact, Empire, like, you know you have, or maybe you don't, I have, when, like, somebody asks me what my favorite movie is, mm -hmm. I have to be like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, yes. Because my favorite movie that I think is the best movie is The Fall. Um, Hmm. It's a Tarsum Singh movie. It is, the only reason I haven't made us watch it is because it's, like, I was in college the first time I saw that movie. Mm. It is... Jody, it's incredible, and you should watch it. I think it I've right seen now. it. The one with um, Lee Pace. Yeah, I think there I've seen it. There are a few it. different movies called The Fall. That's the one. It's gorgeous, and it's all practical effects. But you would be I'll shocked have to, look in, to learn. I'll have that. to look again and see if that's the one it's, I've seen. It's incredible. I have like a the tattoo <laughs> that's um, from The Fall. It it is so important to me. Okay, um, I'll have to see if that's but, the one I've seen. But I was done cooking totally by the time I saw that movie. So. Yeah, I, I don't know that it works for for this um, iteration of our podcast, though. Um, listeners, if you've never seen The Fall, go watch it right now. It is. It's everything I love in a movie. It's it's gorgeous and it's perfect. And yeah, and it makes me cry like a baby. Um, Shocking. But I know. Um, but then but my like favorite movie is Empire Records. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's the one it's like. I know it by heart. I, yeah. we could, you could sit here and watch me do that movie from start to finish. I mean, the same is true of this. Like, right. This is um, absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why I, why I, in the beginning I was like, don't ruin my movie by talking about it being the beginning of the Internet. Because, like, I've seen so many articles at this point that are like, mm-hmm. he would be Joe Rogan now and blah, right. blah. And, he, you know, and fine, maybe. But, like, not in my version of this movie. Yeah. Leave not me alone. All. Leave me in my movie alone. Yeah. Like, uh, don't put him in that like you know incel whatever like it's easy to make that leap right but i don't think that that is how this character was written i just don't he's way too 
empathetic. Yeah, too. and aware. The way he connects with his callers and like yeah. he is like even with that with Mr. Sirius, mm-hmm. he the second he realizes that he's I mean, he tries to call back. It's yeah. not for lack of trying. Yeah. He like immediately once he's back on the air is trying to like he gives that kind of it's like it's very teenage, but also very sweet and thoughtful. That like yeah. monologue he gives about why suicide is not yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Like, no exactly. way. No way. I know. I think the people that are saying that are just reading the surface level and the bravado part of his character mm-hmm. and not actually understanding what right. this movie is about. And that character is put on. Like, it's yeah. not like, I mean, Joe Rogan's character is put on too. Jesus Christ, but it's, yeah. But it's like, it's a very different, it's just It's also different. removing it's, it from the time period. Like, yeah. you know, this is, these were the vibes. Well, and here's something we haven't talked about, about this movie that I think is so in conversation with so much of what we've talked about is like to say like removing from from its time his parents suggest and it is an end of the world suggestion that he refuses to even consider that maybe he sees a psychiatrist yeah yeah and it's like of this is again one of those movies where like mental health is not prioritized in the way that it should be mm-hmm. and is treated as this kind of like secret thing and that's another big reason why the way he has to express himself and work yeah. through those things is with this put on character as opposed to somebody like Joe Rogan who is just a piece of shit. Right. Like that's there's a yes. huge I'm getting so worked up for I hate that. I, I hate know. That I, I hate it too. It's like you know when you when I went back in like a couple of times I've done some research on this movie because I've wanted us to do it in the past. And every time I get to those articles that are like, this is opinion podcasting. I'm like, shut the fuck up. You don't understand yeah. what this movie was. And like, and you don't even understand podcasting. <laughs> That's I mean, what like, I get. That's yeah. what I get protective of. Yeah. Well, but you can't <laughs> like everybody always gets all up in arms about shit that happened, like stuff that was created 30 years ago. And tries to put today's lens on it. And I'm about mm. to sound like fucking Joe Rogan. But like. <laughs> a little homophobia is okay. <laughs> I know that's not what you're saying. <laughs> no, but it's like. It's also just an insincere read of this movie. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I <laughs> I found some reviews that came out when this movie came out. That are so like. An angst-powered teen anthem, pump up the volume, revels ecstatically in the woes of growing up alienated, frustrated, and sexually obsessed. There's nothing new about that, of course, except for the progeny who are freaking out, the why-bother generation of the totally exhausted decade. This heartfelt drama is as nasty as it wants to be and as melodramatically overwrought, (laughs) which is true. It is very melodramatically overwrought. But I think it knows that, right? Like, I do think it's just really concentrated for a reason yeah and i like and those that. of us that grew up with this movie also ended up probably reading on ice Nin and writing bad poetry like it's just part <laughs> of the you know and reading henry miller i think he wa- i think card harry wants to be henry miller also <laughs> but yeah this movie's great jody i don't know what you were worried about i just have such a true love of this movie that and if I'd I, known who the director was, I would have told you that, that from I was jump safe that you had nothing to worry about. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because like that I knew that going in, that, you know, he also directed Empire Records and that, you know, the sensibility 
I again, I haven't seen Empire Records in a really, really long time, and I did only watch it once. I know, but so like, I kind of assumed that there would be, but like, my love for this movie is so dumb. Like in terms of how how strong it is, like it's so does not meet the material, you know. But Empire, well. But this movie does deal with some stuff that is serious in a way that it is really trying to say something. Yeah. Empire Records is not that movie. There are a couple (laughs) of things in that movie that it's like, but it is much smaller stakes. My love for it is... I cannot explain to you how much. I'm tearing up just thinking about it. I love it so much so i understand (laughs) like it's not and that's a big part of what we were doing here it's not about how good or important or right like yes we're not we're not that's not not doing like the uh you know top 100 movies what is that podcast that paul shear does unspooled unspooled this isn't unspooled no this is like (laughs) here's our dna you know what i mean yeah 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 exactly you don't need to explain or justify. That's not what we're. That's not right. what we're doing here. And you're about to get a big lesson in that on my end for next week. I think *Empire Records* wait. is an incredible movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I just mean like that movie is not changing any like cultural yeah. conversations or anything. It's just great. Yeah, I'm excited. I again, it is like I think it, it came out when I was working at the video store. And I think that's why it kind of came and went. It also, the, my, the name of the video store I worked at was Empire Video. <laughs> so, so like, I think I watched it once and, like, just was in a different... I was watching different movies at that time, I think. How old would you, were you in 95? 95, I was 19. That's, that I mean, was also... I know. that was It was a good time. It would have been a good time for me to really get into that movie. But I... Right, you just missed it. I had a lot of shit going on when I was 19. <laughs> I didn't have time for Empire Records. I had like dropped out of college. Mark, midnight. Yeah. I had dropped out of college and was living with my parents again and working in a right. video store and like reconnecting with my high school friends. These are teens right on their way to it's the like summer before the first year of college for people. Mm. So yeah, I was in a really bad way when I was 19. Like it was not a good year. So you were like, I don't need to see teens coming of age. No, I really didn't. I need them to. <laughs> That's I really fair. did. That's it. understandable. Um, I'm so excited for you to watch this movie with an open heart. I can't. I am too. I can't wait. I uh, we too. didn't officially announce it. I don't know how much of the conversation that we had a few minutes ago is going to make it into the edit. Maybe I'll just keep all of it. Yeah. I um, mean, like, we we started this before we officially started recording, talking about how you weren't sure what movie we were going to do next week. And we, I think, came to it during the podcast. So, so we'll just I leave that's that fine. in. Um, you can see it all kinds of places. Empire Records is an easy one to, yeah, to track down, and it is. I'm so excited. I am too. I am too. I like don't. Okay, I just want to quickly quote the Times New York Times review, the lead for their review of this movie. Pump up the volume. Asks the question: What's a poor younger generation to do when the traditional modes of teenage rebellion, sex, drugs, and radical politics have already been used up by its elders? It's a very and again, 1990 is a a little bit early to sort of have that kind of hindsight and 
insight. Yeah. I think it's pretty it's it's interesting that it was I feel like it weirdly preceded the grunge movement in like a kind of important way. Like this and reality bites and things like that are all kind of tied up into one big like tangled mess for me. Mm-hmm. Um this movie was filmed in California even though it was supposed to be Arizona. It feels like California. So yeah, the first version of this script was called Radio Death. So should we wrap up the most important movie of my life somehow? Do you feel, do you oh, feel ready? Last thing I wanted to mention. Yes. I brought I mentioned this briefly earlier. Um Heather's has been turned into a musical. Oh yes. And I saw an article in The Guardian about the possibility of this also being turned into a musical. It's not just like a a like conjecture with no basis. So basically um, a condensed version of pump up the volume was presented in workshop form for a small audience at the turbine theater. Oh, um, this was in t- February of this year. Um, and it, the person writing this article, Chris Weigand said, um, I'm relieved to say, or I'm delighted to report relieved even since my childhood bedroom was covered with pictures and slogans from the film that it channels <laughs> the same unruly spirit. Um, the book and lyrics are by Jeremy Desmond. Um, so I don't know. We'll see where that ends up, but it was workshopped, um, and presented. There's a few changes in the musical. Mark's dad is a tough police Lieutenant rather than a school commissioner. Who's raising a son alone. He's shown to be frequently absent. Um, yeah, it says also says the ruthless and corrupt head teacher, Principal Crestwood, is here somehow both more monstrous, sacking the drama teacher for staging Fahrenheit 451. Oh, boy, and that's a little humanized. on the nose. I know, it is a little on the nose. Oh, God. Um, I guess that stuff can work in a musical, though. Yeah. So it was at the Turbine Theater in London for a f- very, very short run as a reading. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. Something to keep our eyes on. How do you feel? How do I feel about that happening? Yeah. Not good. I think I am a firm believer in just don't fuck with it. Leave it alone. Don't Mm -hmm. do it again. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't need to be redone. But that's just me. I also, um, one of my friends sent me, um, which I think is something of interest to you, a link to an article about the new Death Becomes Her. Um, Possible, like, stage musical. Let me pull that up real quick. I mean, that movie is uh, primed for it. Yeah. So um, there's a musical adaptation of Death Becomes Her in the works. There is now an Instagram account for Viva, the magical serum. Love that. Oh, I love some viral. Not viral. They're doing some Yellow Jackets marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I love how now our, our news items, since there's no news from TV world, are just like, musicals are musicals. coming out <laughs> based on movies we've watched. Yeah, I'll include a link to the little teaser. It's not really a trailer because it's an ad for Viva, um, yeah. the, uh, the serum, but it is very funny and totally in theme. Like it, Yeah, it's the, it's the right vibe. It is totally the right vibe. I am... Um, really encouraged by this that Mm -hmm. movie's so you guys know because you hopefully watched it with us but it's so campy and so turned up that it like yeah 
I would love to see the uh, the restaging of the first scene in that movie when Meryl Streep is like doing her yeah. kind of crappy musical mm-hmm. as an actual musical. That'll be very fun. Yeah. I love that. Yay. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Yes. So and I guess that will probably wrap us up for this one. Everyone go listen to the soundtrack. You can't find totally. it anywhere, but um, <laughs> it literally, it doesn't, it's not, you have to like put it together yourself on like a playlist kind of. So that's kind of fun. Do an old school mix CD. But yeah, I'm going to pop that CD in my car before I drive to the beach later. But so this week we're doing Empire Records. Hell yeah. Open till midnight. This is Mark. Midnight. <laughs> um, I'm going to be so annoying next week. I am so sorry. It's your turn, dude. I All week I was like, have you watched it yet? What do you mean you stopped watching it halfway through? What? you Aren't you done watching it yet? Have you watched it yet? Have you gotten to that scene yet? All week I've been texting Andrea, just like constantly bugging her about this movie. So I, I think was it's, I'm dog due. sitting in a house with uh, really poor Wi-Fi. And so it was a real struggle to get through it. And I know that that your anxiety over it was worse than mine as the person trying to watch it. So, but we made it happen. Yeah. I was very, I was very anxious about this whole thing, but here we I'm are. so glad. I, d- I have to say, I did feel a little bit better about this choice, even given all of the like issues with watching it and everything. When I was talking to my best friend um, about this podcast and about movies recently, and the very first movie she brought up was this movie. And I was like, oh, uh, that's cool. right. This is why we became friends 15 years ago. It's because <laughs> we bonded over this and Legend of Billie Jean instantly. Amazing. And so Amazing. I was like, I, it makes sense. We have to do it. Very fun. So uh, where can people find us? They can find us at WatchersPodNJ on Instagram. They can email us at WatchersPodNJ. Um, if you're listening and have left us at gmail.com. If you're listening and haven't yet left us a review, it would be so nice. It would be so nice. Um, yes. Over on um, Apple's podcast app. Um, makes us very happy. Um, yeah. And it helps other so people much. find us and yeah, whatever we're yeah. doing over here. And the one thing I like is that when people do find us, they tend to stick around. Um, yeah. So. Um, and if this is your first time watching this movie, I really need to hear what you have to say. So come over to the Instagram once uh, Andrea posts the clip for this episode and, and let us know. And if this is one of your most important movies, like me also let us know that because I want to feel Jody just supported. wants to know what every single one of our listeners Everyone. thinks about this movie. Yeah. So if you're mm-hmm. listening now, which you are, because you can hear me <laughs> open up your Instagram app or your email app and Send us your thoughts on this movie. Every Please. single one of you. Please. This is so important to me. Oh, our Jersey connection for this movie is that one of the voices you hear at the end of all the, the kids with their shows says that they're in Jersey. Yeah. So yeah. we can't we can't leave the episode without mentioning that. Right. Right. I think spiritually it's all, it's very connected to New Jersey, but that is an actual literal connection. Um, I'm excited to talk about the Empire Records Jersey connection. I'm excited to talk about working at a video store again. Um, Hell yeah. So, and you can find me at Jody underscore Mim on Instagram, J-O-D-I-E underscore M-I-M. It's just my art account. So if you don't like art, leave me alone. Um, (laughs) I'm at A-Q, Andrea Q everywhere. 
it's not my art account. I don't do art. I make podcasts and post pictures of my dog and my cats. Who are art. They are. Yes. That's true. All right. We did it. We did it. Steal the air. It belongs to you. (laughs) I hope this episode inspires every single one of our listeners to start a podcast. Talk hard. Yep. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.